Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master, and I'm a pastor here. Uh, we're wrapping up our series, as JC said, I have a friend that, and what that blanker ending is, is questions or unique situations that may arise based off of what we see our friends doing, and we just don't know what to do about it. So we're looking to the Bible to learn how to address it. And today's ending is, I have a friend who is distant from God in church. Any of you have friends like that, that you'd love to see come to church, or you'd love to see come and develop a relationship with Jesus? If not, you're not going to like this first comment I make to you. It means you're probably too sheltered. You need to get some, and you need to get them to church and to God. Ooh, you might be thinking, ooh, pastor, ooh, ooh, careful what you wish for. I don't think you really want that is maybe what you're thinking right now. You don't want my Uncle Joe here. I mean, he's awful. He'll drink all the coffee, he'll eat all the donuts, he'll belch, he'll wear his, his work boots that smell like manure, and maybe cuss at you a little bit, Pastor. I'd say he'll say, we want him, because I think Jesus wants him. Or you might be thinking, Aaron, I got some friends, I got some friends, but they just aren't the church type. I don't think they'd mind this place for a little bit, but they probably will show up to church from a too rough of a night last night, or they don't really know anything about the Bible, or they're not really that straight-laced type of person, or do the things Christians should do. They're not the ones that, or they are the ones that do kind of like the naughtier things in their free time. Or, you know, Aaron, they're just not really ready for church. I'd say that's exactly who we want to get here. Like, to go one level further with you, if you've been here for a while, you might even be thinking, Aaron, (laughs) careful what you wish for, because I'll get my friends here, and they'll snatch that free Centerpoint t-shirt that you like give away each year. And I just want to say, you don't want my friends wearing those. You don't want my friends wearing those. Because they'll be wearing it out, drinking a few too many at the bar, walking down that pharmacy aisle that's like too awkward to walk down at Target. Praise Jesus for self-checkout. Or with that crew that's cussing up a storm at their Friday fish fry. Honestly, I still want them. And I think Jesus does too. If I'm being real with you, the only two real scenarios that came to mind to me this week that would throw me off on someone wearing a Centerpoint t-shirt, first would be them wearing it to a political rally, because politics divide, right? And we're people here, or there are people here at this church who are across the spectrum, so I never want it to seem like God is on one side or this church is on one side. But the second is, the second thing that came to mind of where maybe I wouldn't want someone wearing a shirt is, is in a criminal, criminal situation, kind of maybe like something like this. Like you have the, the guy shopping, he's wearing the Centerpoint shirt, and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I'm going to take that six-pack. Oh, but nope, I'm not. The door is locked. And I think, yeah, I'll just give it right back and hop back in line by my buddy and totally sell him out. Okay. So this was doctored, right? But this is one of my greatest fears, like when we give away shirts, someone committing a crime while wearing them. (laughs) By the way, we're giving away free shirts at the end of April and early May. But I really started to think about that doctor video and questioned, would it really be that bad? Would it really be that bad? Like, I mean, it would be it wouldn't be fun for me if the police came to me and they're like, Can you identify this person? And I'd be like, uh, that'd be really tough, right? But would it really be that bad for us as a church if someone we tried to reach committed a crime? 
Would it really be that bad that someone far from living the way God wants got interested in God and started to make some changes, but still wasn't fully transformed and out doing kind of some bad things every once in a while? I don't think so. Now, before you freak out on me, let me explain. No, I'm not encouraging you, or encouraging you all to be criminals. No, I'm not giving you the blessing to be one. And no, you should not like, stop committing a crime just because you feel like, oh, I don't know if I'm that type of Christian quite yet. I can still commit my crime here and there. That is not what I'm saying at all. But regardless, I think it's worth to point out Jesus spent time with people who did criminal-like things in the past, and who were still kind of in the process of doing them when he was here on earth. He noticed those things and spent time with people like that. I mean, he identified with people who were far from God and spent time with them. Check out what it says in Mark 2, 15 to 17 about this, as well as what people thought about this. It says this, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Did these people... He was dining with, just instantly become perfect human beings when they chose to be with Jesus at one dinner? Not a chance, right? Could it be the start to a full transformation with God for some of them? Absolutely. But did all of them that he spent time with choose to follow him? No. Look at what the verse says in verse 15. For there were many that followed, many, not all. Jesus did what he could to expose others to God's ways. And sometimes it landed, and sometimes it didn't. The reason we're spending so much time, or I'm spending so much time, introducing this concept of a situation when we have friends who are far from God or far from church, is if we're to replicate what Jesus did, we should be trying to reach people who are like that. Tax collectors and sinners, as the verse says. The theologian and pastor John Piper, he states this when analyzing like that category, tax collectors and sinners in the Bible. He says this, this sounds strange to us because we know that all people are sinners in one sense and because tax gatherers certainly were, but it didn't sound strange in Jesus' situation. For the Pharisees and scribes, sinners was used for a class of persons who were marked by manifestly immoral lives or questionable occupations, people that no respectable Jew would have anything to do with. People described as sinners back then were people who lived immoral lives, it says. They had questionable occupations, who were, who today, a respectable, church-going type of person typically doesn't want to be around. To be super clear, immoral, it's defined as this. It says, not conforming to accepted standards, right? Synonyms of this are unethical, bad, and wrongful. Do you have any friends that maybe fit that category? Do they come to church or do they have a connection with God that you know of? If not, what are you doing for them? Is there a people group that maybe fits one of these categories to you? What are you doing for them? You might even see yourself fitting in one of those categories. Do you know that Jesus wants to connect with you and that you are welcome to explore faith here? I mean, to be real with you, years ago, I saw myself living in a way that most 
respectable, typical, church-going people don't want to be around. Honestly, this is a big reason of why I planted this church or started this church. To give you a little background on me and my faith journey, I attended a good church growing up, and I felt the teaching was good. Uh, It's what helped me be open to Jesus and think about a relationship with God, but it didn't engage me fully. It didn't help me see the full weight of my wrongdoings in in its teachings. And it didn't help me process and answer the tough questions I had. It didn't engage me to make these daily life changes to pursue Jesus. So when I went to college, I lived this double life. I pretended to be this church kid from a small town, Berlin was where I was from, who put Christian on my Facebook profile so people like just knew that's what I was. And then when I went there, I was in this bigger city. I was a partier chasing the next high or whatever made me feel good or happy in the moment. Well, after hitting low moments from chasing those things, I realized I've let my sin, even though it felt good, even though I had the freedom to do it if I wanted, I let it rule my life and I knew I needed to change. So I recommitted to Jesus. I had kind of a moment where I recommitted to Jesus. I went back to my Christian roots, and I slowly made little changes. First, on how I acted on the weekdays. I was in college at the time. I definitely wasn't giving up what I did on the weekends quite yet, but it started with the weekdays for me. But then it was a change to my weekends. And then it was to how I was with my girlfriend. And then it was with how I treated others. And then it was with what I did with my money. And then it was with what I did with my free time. And then it was with like how I grew my connection with God and the community of believers, which led me to start attending a church in college. And then I, that's like kind of where I really realized starting and finding a church is really hard. It's really hard and extremely awkward. A place where you can both be challenged and question and feel welcome and enjoy it and fit in is hard. After like 10 churches in college, I found one and it was great and I loved it. And then I got to a spot where I started inviting my friends, my college friends and roommates to come because I was kind of all in at this point. And uh, of course, whenever I asked them like, hey, come to church with me, I would always get like a response like this, kind of like last minute too. They'd be like, ah, dude, I got a paper. I can't. Got a paper. Or nah, man, like I got to watch this March Madness game. I just gotta, gotta. Ah, I'm in the middle of a Madden game right now. Maybe next time, next time. Or can't. For some reason, work just called me just right now. I got to work today. So I got to work. I can't, can't. It's later. It's after service, but I can't. I can't because of that. So I go alone. And after I like, hear the message, I'd be like, this would have been perfect for them. Right? I, this would have been perfect for them. Why aren't they here? So I'd try again the next week. And the same type of response I'd get from them. And the me- I'd go by myself and I'd get the message. I'd be like, this would have been perfect. No. Why didn't they come? And then finally, I'd get a yes. I'd get a yes, I'd get them in my car, we'd drive, and then we'd walk in, and I'd be like, something's not right, something's not right here. And then like news would be like, it's special guest speaker today, it's our mission evangelist from afar who does altar calls and is super long in his sermons, or it'd be like special offering Sunday where the message is only about giving, or it'd be the worship team that just had too much cowbell and you couldn't handle, or whatever it was, (laughs) or it's like, let's let the kids lead this Sunday would be the one that we show up to, and or... Or it would just be a normal Sunday with the normal speaker, but where the sermon was just meh. It was just meh. Have you ever had that before? Never mind. Don't answer that. Um, But it'd be like, no, no, they missed it. They missed it. 
So with this experience in mind, I started this this church so that it had consistent services that I would be comfortable inviting my friends to any Sunday, no matter what. That addressed some of the things that I was missing from my home church, my, my upbringing, such as a place where people are real, a place where you can ask questions or doubt and not have certainty, a place where you can belong before you believe, a place that shows you that change is a step that you can take daily, and it's something that inevitably must happen if you're pursuing Jesus. I hope that's something you experience and, and witness here. But today, again, we're talking about our friends, our friends who maybe haven't gotten here or given Jesus a chance. So today we're looking to the Bible for answers on this. How do we get our friends closer to God and Jesus? What do we maybe need to do to uh, reach that person that's in that sinner category and is far from God or far from church? How, what, what can we do? For you, as you think about that person for you, is it that buddy you hang out with on the weekends? Is it your kid, maybe? Is it your coworker? Is it a family member? Is it uh, your neighbor? Is it your kid's friend's parent? What are you doing to get that person closer to God? I mean, there's so many reasons people choose not to get plugged into church or come to church or get close to God, such as they've been hurt by church before, they have existential questions, God didn't come through for them in the past, they they have ignorance or are disinterested in church or interested in God, they feel there's too many rules, they're not good enough or they don't feel they're good enough, they don't believe in God and they're living counter to Him, they don't feel it's relevant or worth their time. Again, Jesus wants these people. We saw it in how he spent his time, such as being primarily with tax collectors and sinners. So how do we, the friends of these type of people, get them closer to God? Well, if we look to Mark 2, which is where we're going to spend a lot of our time today, we get a very clear picture on how a group of guys in the Bible did it. And if you've been in the church world before, I'm guessing you've heard this story before, but I kind of want to give you a fresh glance at it and give you three action steps that are extremely practical and probably something you've never thought of with this story before. The story, how it starts, is it's with Jesus teaching, and there's kind of buzz in the city about him teaching at that time and about him being there. People are hearing that amazing things happen when Jesus teaches. So people start to enclose in on where Jesus is located, and it says this in Mark 2, 2. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So this is at a house, at a house, and if you kind of picture something in your mind, can you picture a house that's just cram-packed? In my mind, in today's context, the picture that came to mind to me is a frat house is kind of what came to mind, like a party inside and outside. The comparison of like why someone would be there is not the same, right? They're absolutely different, but that's what came to mind for me. It's just packed inside and out, and this is what I picture it was like for Jesus. Anyways, it then says this, some men came, in, came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. They could not get to Jesus because of the crowd. Can you picture this, right? Four guys carrying a man, unable to walk on a mat. Again, sorry where my mind goes, but kind of reminds me of a frat house too, all right? So, but this man they're carrying is paralyzed. So what they do next is this. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, Scripture says. So these guys are scaling the house, 
and doing stuff on the roof. Just so you know, although this maybe would be normal of what you would see at a frat house, this is not normal. This would be very strange and unacceptable at that time. Back then, the roof would have been flat. It would have been constructed by mud, thatch, and branches, and maybe even some manure in the mix. So literally, they're digging through that to get their friend to Jesus. And literally, that is falling on Jesus and the people in the house. But what happens next is this. And then lowered that, uh, the mat the man was lying on. Okay, so I'm picturing they're on this roof, four dudes lowering a man and his mat down below. Now, if we're picturing this out, they're on a roof, got a hole, stuff fell down, dropped the mat, right? And then four dudes are kind of trying to get this guy down, right? They're on the roof. Johnny, you at the bottom? Nope, six feet still. Well, you're paralyzed, right? You ready for this? Thud, right? Like it's kind of like what would probably happen. And they lower him in. I know some Sunday schools like, or churches, they maybe have a picture of like some special pulley system lowering this man down. That ain't in Scripture. That ain't in Scripture anywhere. And let's be real. Four dudes on a project together, there's no way there was a grand plan, right? But this man, he gets planted in front of Jesus. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven, and he heals this man. He says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. It's an amazing story, right? It's an amazing story that we see that Jesus does. Like the friends who, the, the friend that is sick or hurting or who would have been socially probably forgotten about or given up on, as a lifelong paralytic, he had very little hope to ever walk again. But these friends, they notice him and they bring him to Jesus and they take responsibility to get him there. Their actions is actually what I want to spend our remaining time on, analyzing what these men did for their friend to get him to Jesus so that maybe we can do it as well for those that we know have barriers. And the thing that I think we can see right away that we need to do is we need to identify those friends, identify our friends. These men, they knew they had this friend in need of Jesus. Again, do you have friends like that? Do you have someone that comes to mind for you? If not, you need some. You need some, as in make friends with people who are not Christians, who aren't within the church. What are you doing to do that right now? Are you a part of an organization, a club, a workplace? Are you uh, with a people group often? Are you uh, at a school? Are you at a gym that you work out at around people like this? Are you uh, on a team? Do you expose yourself outside your Christian bubble? If not, you need to. The Great Commission of Jesus, or his last words for his people, or for us, is, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. If you're never with unchurched people, how do you make disciples? You need some unchurched, non-Christian friends. And if you don't have some, find some ASAP. And when you do, it's not that you then need to be like, let me tell you about my little friend Jesus right away, right? It's not like, hey, let me tell you about him right now. You don't need to do that in every comment. It just starts with letting your life as a follower of Jesus' ways be noticeable or shine. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And then, 
once you have some friends identified and you identified each of them, you don't need to like do it like out loud or like socially. Like a lot of times we do, it seems. This is my church friend and we're at a church party right now. And then these are my friend friends, the ones that like I hang out with on the weekends. We're not doing that. You don't do that at all. But simply identify in your mind who could use a connection with Jesus. This seems silly, but this is actually a very important step for a couple reasons. The first is, if they are not a Christian, you need to know to not let them have influence on your core values. So you need to be on guard for that if, if you're around these people often. But secondly, because you then can accept ownership over your witnessing and friendship to them as a Christian. The four men in our story, they knew their paralyzed friend needed God. Yet this maybe comes across harsh as I was thinking about this, but back then, it probably would have been really hard to be friends with him. It would have been really hard to be friends with this person because there weren't a lot of natural hobbies they could do together. He couldn't do like the work they were normally doing. It was extra work. They had to be intentional about seeing him and befriending him. Yet they must have, right, identified him as someone they want to befriend and they were intentional about being with him. It's the same for us today with some of those that are in our lives who are churchless or godless. Have you identified them? If so, who is that person for you? If I'm real with you, as I think about me and my relationships, I have two or three that come to mind for me um, who I've kind of seen as lost causes. That's kind of how I see them. Uh, like people who I just have always thought they're never going to come to God. They're never going to come to God. I've kind of given up on them. Uh, we've had our exchanges like, hey, you should come to church, and they don't. We've, we've had the conversations about faith. They've seen me witness my faith multiple times, and I've kind of just said, oh well. Oh well. Yet this isn't what the men did when it got hard, right? The men in our story, this is not what they did. Again, who is that person in your life because the next thing that we need to do that we see these four men do, and you're not going to like doing this, but, but you are to bear some burdens. You're to bear some burdens. We're to bear the burden of helping our friends get closer to Jesus. The men in our story, they carried this man who was unable to walk to get to Jesus. They felt responsible for getting this person to Jesus. They had no idea what would happen when they did, but they tried anyways. Without them owning the burden or the responsibility for this man, this man would not have been healed and he would not have gotten close to Jesus. Think about that for a second. Have you owned the responsibility or burden of your friend or person that comes to mind for you? The burden of you realizing that maybe your kid doesn't have a relationship with God currently. Have you embraced that? Have you embraced the burden of making sure your coworker knows there's a place that desires them on Sundays? The burden of you expressing to your friend that there is a community uh, in God that wants to support them and guide them to holy living. They are 100% their own person, right? And they make their own decisions. But God has placed them uniquely in your life to witness to. Not to be forgotten about or given up on no matter how many times you've tried. You have this person, you have this friend, but now you need to bear the burden of them. Anyone else here feel like they've, they've seen some moms bear some burdens before? 
like some Christian moms, they're really good at bearing the burden of getting people to Jesus, um, or just maybe like even a little too much, like over the top. There's, there's this video we're going to watch in a second of this guy kind of exaggerating of how like, how over the top we can be of carrying the burden sometimes. Check it out. Kids, listen up. I don't want to hear any complaints about dinner. This will be your last supper. Movie night, kids. Your choice. I can only imagine or left behind. The new Wi-Fi password is if your eyes cause you to sin, cut them out. All caps. Wow. Drake not on a coaster? Well, foolish man builds his house in the sand, so makes sense. I hear swearing on that, kids. What's the rating on that TV show? Children, please be quiet, okay? Okay, I'm seeing a thunderstorm warning in the area. Lord, we pray a hedge of protection around this house. Kids, I need you guys all on that Rosetta Stone, okay? Guatemala mission trip is in three weeks. Breakfast time, kids. Quaker, you know, they brought the gospel to the new world. Excuse me, lucky charms. We do not believe in luck in this house. To carry a burden does not mean saying cliches, right? Or witnessing to that person by saying all the right church things. It means to literally care for them, which sometimes means carrying them, but sometimes it means buying them coffee and bringing up faith, picking them up to maybe go to church on your way here. Maybe it's taking their kids to church as a start. Maybe it's sitting in an unpreferred service time or for a second time to be with them in it. Maybe it's introducing your friends uh, to some of the other people that are a part of this church to, to be a part and be uh, connected with these other friends that you're trying to reach so that it's now a little easier for them to be coming here. Maybe to carry the burden for you has nothing to do with church or faith, but maybe it just means starting to model who Jesus is because they see it nowhere else. Maybe it means showing up for the seventh time to help them out. Maybe it's just being the one who just shows them true respect, love, support, and care that was modeled to you by Christ. You absolutely need boundaries in situations like this. As you can't let them infiltrate your Christian values, but you are to carry the burden of getting them to Christ. Who is that for you? If I go back to the friends that I mentioned, the three that kind of came to mind for me, that I was referencing before, um, I identified those people as ones that aren't connected to God or to a church. And when I realized those friends weren't going to become a Christian on my timing or in my timeline, my relationship with them kind of slowed. Kind of slowed and it honestly eventually stopped. It stopped because the relationship wasn't natural. It wasn't easy for me. And... It's not that like my faith was being contested by them or, or that they were pulling me away, but I was just done. I was done with carrying the burden of, of, of trying to get them here or to get them to church or to Christ. Yet this just might have been the biggest negative of all to them. The fact that me, the, the Christian chose not to continue being friends with them when they wouldn't convert or attend or participate. Oh, again, who is that for you? What's the burden you have for them? Again, for you, is that just being there for them? Or is it sending the invitation to church for the hundredth time? Or is it setting down your pride and still pursuing them even though they've pulled away? Which leads to the last thing. I think we can see from the four men, which is break some rules. 
break some rules. There are a lot of social rules out there these days, right? I want to see if you can like finish these statements or finish these rules that are out there. So let's say you just got done eating. How long before you can swim in the pool? Two hours. Whoa, whoa. I don't want to be in that family. Two hours. 30 minutes is what I've always heard. But is that true? I don't even know. Um, can you get a cold from not wearing a jacket? Oh, you guys are taught well. I wasn't. All right. Um, is smelling magic markers really that bad? If so, how long is too long? Right? Is it mandatory to say yes or, or is it mandatory yes or no to say bless you after a person sneezes? Because I don't want to say bless you when like snot is in my vicinity, right? Who wants to say bless you to that? It's more like Kleenex for you. That could be a better saying. Kleenex for you. When it comes to church, I feel there are a lot of social rules that we feel we need to follow. But why? Why? Break some rules. Jesus certainly broke some rules. Like if you look at like what the religious standards were, what the religious processes were. And the four men also broke some rules. Instead of going through the front door to enter a house, they did the roof. And instead of waiting politely for their turn, they made a hole and placed this man right in front of Jesus. Was that illegal? I don't know. Was it going to be probably an insurance nightmare for that person or the owner of the house? Probably, or whatever it was that they had back then. But they broke some social rules to get their friend to Jesus. I'm not saying be a criminal or be a lawbreaker, but are there some social rules you need to break to get your friend to Christ? For example... What if a little sense of bribery was used? Like a little sense of bribery. Bribery went a long ways for me as a kid growing up. If I knew we were getting coffee or lattes or Culver's for lunch after church, I was in every time, every time. What if it's simply just inviting your friends to the fun that we have here once in a while at church? Like saying something like, hey, come, come just pick up a shamrock shake and leave right away. Don't even, you don't even have to stay for the service. Just grab a shamrock shake. Is that shady and socially unacceptable? Kind of. Kind of, right? But would it get them a closer exposure to church? Maybe. So worth it? Maybe. What if it's to connect your unchurched or godless friend with another one of your church friends simply for a fun night out so now you have like conversation? Yeah, you show up on Sunday. We all, that's what we're all doing. You should come. What if you happen to have the sermon on in the car when you pick your friend up and drive to that event and it's just kind of background noise, but it's something that's there for them? What if your, your kid invites their kid and now they got to come, right? Like if, if your kid wants to come, now you got to come because people will do anything for their kids. I don't know exactly what it is for you and your friend, but what if you changed your mindset from trying to fit your friend in the traditional box of getting them to church of them just showing up randomly on their own one day to you bending the maybe socially acceptable rules a bit and trying to get them here as the men did in our story. I get this is maybe a little out there for some of you, but since day one of our church, we've made the comment, we want to do anything but sin to help others get closer to Jesus. That mentality has brought us to giving away shot glasses here, hosting events at bars, doing music at wineries, giving away bubbles on Easter, having live animals in our services, and so much more. Are all those things really acceptable to do in church? 
I don't know. I hope so. But instead of debating it out with people for months on end, we prayfully have moved forward with some of these ideas, not all of them, but we, and then continue with the ones that work and seem to fit, and then shake the dust off and move from the ones that don't. Instead of debating about it for months on end and sitting on an idea for months, we've then, because we've moved forward quickly on things, we've seen growth between 20 and 50 percent each month here as a church. We do all this because we want others to know and get closer to Jesus. Sure, someone maybe will come back, pick up a a free shirt, and then maybe never come back again, but we see that as a start or the start of a process to getting closer to Jesus. We're going to break some traditional church rules to get people to Jesus. So again, what can you do to get your friend that's far from Jesus closer to him? Our three things from our story is identify your friends, carry the burden, and break some rules. Which one do you need to work on this week? As we're getting close to wrapping up here, I want to point out probably the most convicting yet also one of the most encouraging parts of the story that I just told you. When all that goes down at the house, right? The fact that the four men, they identified this person, that, this paralyzed man, that he's in need of God. The fact that they took responsibility to get him in front of Jesus and finding an unconventional way to get him there. When all of that happens, Jesus doesn't just notice the paralytic man on the mat. He notices the four men. Again, verse 5, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, I picture the man being lowered, right? And Jesus kind of doing one of these, right? Like shaking his head, just smiling. But instead of looking at the man on the mat, he's looking at the men above, beaming. Do you get what I'm trying to point out to you? Sometimes Jesus is so moved by the faith of you, your creativity, your attempt, your persevering effort, doing what it takes to get your friends to him, That in that moment, in the response to it, he provides a miracle onto them because of you. Who in your life do you know needs that miracle? What are you doing for them? I'm going to pray that we identify, we bear the burden, and we break some rules to get them to Jesus. If you want that too, you can pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just giving us a clear example of how some people do some unique things to get others closer to you. So I just pray that you help us do that for our friends, for the people in our lives. Help us identify them. Help us bear the burden even when it gets tough. And then God, help us, help us actually follow through on, on getting them to you by breaking some rules sometimes or whatever it is, whatever it takes. Help us get them closer to you. Help us be aware of who that person is and help us act on it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.